Well, good morning. Uh, we are continuing in the Gospel of John today, uh, bef- and it's uh, we're in John 17, which is a the entire chapter is a prayer of Jesus. And uh, so, before we get into it, here I want to I want to ask you to do something. So, either on your phone, if you take notes on your phone, you can do this on your phone or write this down somewhere. I want you to write down one thing that you are praying for right now. Like if somebody was, was going to ask you, what can I pray for for you, you would say this. So take a second, write that down, jot it in a note somewhere. And then when you've got that, just kind of say, got it. Give you a second. So maybe you're still thinking about it. Hopefully you've got at least an idea of what that thing you would pray for right now would be. Let me, let me ask you a question. If you got that prayer answered... Would it bring glory to the Father? Are most of the things we pray about centered around the glory of God? Uh, There's a reason we're asking that question this morning, and I hope by the time we're done you'll see why. Um, I would contend that John 17 is a prayer of Jesus centered around the Father getting glory. And so before we uh, dive into it, let's read the text together. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom have, you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, 
and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, uh, powerful words as we uh, get a glimpse at the prayer life of Jesus. Uh, Lord, teach us today. We need your help. Uh, Show us what you need us to see in this text today. And we ask it for the glory and the fame of King Jesus. Amen. We've been studying through the book of John, and we get to chapter 17, and this prayer that Vic just read, and... We need to take a second and just step back and say, wow, (laughs) right? So if you're new to all of this, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's where the New Testament starts. It starts with the life of Jesus. And John is a gospel that's really unique to the other gospels. There's, There's a ton of original material in John. And John tells us why that's the case. When he gets to the end of his gospel, he says, listen, if any of us were to write all the stories and things that Jesus did, we would fill all the books in the world and all the libraries. And and so there's so much that could be said about Jesus that the gospel writers had to, inspired by the Father, by the Holy Spirit, had to pick and choose according to their audience what they would write. John is writing much later than everyone else, and he includes this prayer that is not included in in any of the other gospels, it, it clues us in on the very heart of Jesus right before he's about to go to the cross. It's like a window, you know, deep into what he wants for us as his disciples, what he wanted for these 11 that were still with him. It's, it's just an amazing passage, like one that I think we can take for granted, right? Mm. We can take for granted when we read it. We can even, even gloss over some of the things that Jesus is asking for. Jesus is praying bold prayers. And we may even need to start there. Like we talked about this week about this idea of why does Jesus pray? Why is this important? Uh, Yeah, Uh, you think about it, does he really need to pray? 
Like he is, he's God, truly God, truly man. And you get to this place where he's done everything to this point. He's about to go to the cross. Yet he takes a moment to pray. Why? Um, I think if we can answer that question, it would uh, help us answer the question, why should we pray? Mm -hmm. I I think part of the reason is this, is that prayer is the vehicle God uses to make his will be done. God not only ordains the ends, he ordains the means by which the ends are accomplished. Does that make sense? Prayer is one of the things God uses to accomplish his will and to, and to move his people mm-hmm. into being more like him. Mm-hmm. And Jesus has given us a model here of, of this is in, before his greatest trial, before the hardest thing yeah. he's ever going to do, he prays. Mm-hmm. And so often we are a prayerless people. We tend to think we can do things without praying. And for Jesus, that was never the case. Yeah. Multiple times we yeah. see in the Gospels, he's away. He moves away to pray. And we don't have access to those prayers. Yeah. But Jesus prays this prayer within earshot of John so that we can hear it today. And, and the things he asked for are amazing. One question that I, I don't know about you guys, but I, that I've kind of struggled with and thought through a lot is as I've prayed, I, you know, I want it to be like, I want to pray the right way. The disciples struggled with that, right? They said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. We want to know how to pray. So I think anyone who desires to be in relationship with God, they understand that, that there's something to this prayer thing, right? This is how we talk to God and, and we want to do it right. And one of the questions that arises out of that desire is, is it okay to pray for myself or is it totally <laughs> yeah. selfish? And interestingly, when we look at how Jesus prayed, the, he begins by praying for himself. He begins uh, in the first five verses concerning where he's at at this time. So can you pray for yourself? Yes, Jesus did. But look at verse one and how he begins his prayer. Father, the hour has come, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. That's where it starts. It starts with as we pray, as, as Vic was saying at the beginning, and as we write down the prayers, I'm assuming a lot of you guys probably wrote down prayers that are very dear to your heart, things that are very like happening in your life. And the question is, how tied are those things to the glory of God? You see, for Jesus, this was at the middle of everything he was praying. Uh, I heard someone say it's, it's like this um, rubber band ball type <laughs> uh, prayer where like if you start to unwind like one piece of the prayer, it like, all falls apart because all these things are wrapped up together. And one of the central themes is this idea of bringing glory to God. Right, and, and so that's a big Bible word, right? Glory. Yeah, what's that mean? And, and so here, I'm gonna, there are a lot of ways to define glory. Um, I'm gonna read you, this is gonna sound like John Piper, because it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is the manifest beauty of his holiness. 
That is a Piper sentence, right? It is, glory is the manifest beauty of his holiness. It is the going public of God's holiness. That's what it means to give glory to God. Uh, it, It means that for us, that we're trying to show the infinite beauty and greatness of God. The, the, the scriptures, the Psalms uh, tell us to magnify the Lord. Well, um, I'm going to s- steal this from Piper as well. There are two kinds of magnification, right? Microscope and telescope. This means yes, if you agree. If you, if you don't, we'll talk later. What you do with a microscope is you take something tiny and try to make it look bigger, right? That's microscope magnifying. Telescope magnifying is you're trying to make something massive like Jupiter look like what it is, right? You're trying to show the bigness of a thing. You, the way you glorify God, you're not trying to make God, tiny little God, look big, poor God, right? No, you're trying to make this infinite, massive, indescribable God look like what he is. That's what it means to glorify God in our lives. And the interesting thing is when Jesus prays, he says, glorify the Son so he can glorify you. And Jesus is giving us instructions to bring glory to the Father. What's about to happen is the greatest glory Jesus is going to give the Father is in his death. And you may think that's odd. How can that bring glory to God? How can that show the bigness of who God is? Let me show you one other place. This is going to come up. We'll get into this in greater detail in John 21. uh, It's where he's having the conversation with Peter, right? He says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know, it's this whole conversation. And in 2118, Jesus says, truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. Verse 19, this he said to show what kind of death, by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Mm -hmm. Peter's going to die a death that will bring glory to God, that's going to show the worth and the beauty and the magnificence of God. And, and it's odd that that's the picture, right? How does that happen? As we work through the prayer, I think you're going to see more clearly how that comes uh, into play. I'm going to stay on this for just one more second. Flip over to John chapter 2, verse 4. So go backwards in the narrative. Because I know there's a lot of people who have been here through this whole series, mm. and I just I want to tie something together here. If you go back to John chapter two, I mean this was a long time ago when we were preaching through this chapter, and Jesus is at a wedding. His mother is there. Somehow she's involved with some of the logistics of it. When they run out of wine, she comes to Jesus, <laughs> and Jesus says to her in verse four. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. That was sort of the beginning of this theme that we see through the book of John, the hour. 
What's Jesus talking about there? We brought it up then. We said that that hour he speaks of is this hour of crucifixion, of his death, and then eventually his resurrection. So his hour has not yet come. And so when his mom is saying, hey, it's time, like, can you, can you, um, can you come change some water into wine? Well, she doesn't know he's going to do it that way. But that's what he does, right? And he says, my hour's not yet come. This isn't the moment where I need to be glorified. You see, there's a moment coming. So that's when we get to 17 verse 1. He says, the hour has come. The hour's here. For his full glorification to be on display. You see, the reason he changes water into wine, we read this when we were in that chapter, is because it was a picture of what he would do. In Isaiah 25, the prophet spoke of a day that would... When, when the Lord of hosts would make a feast for all people and he would swallow up on the mountain the covering that is for all peoples, a veil that spread over all nations, so he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. So Jesus in that moment decides to change water into wine and to do this miracle because it was a picture of what was to come, a picture of a day when God would set all things right. But it still wasn't the picture. It wasn't what it was pointing to and what his life was moving towards. And then we're here in John 17. We're hours possibly away from Jesus on the cross. And he says, now the hour's come. And it's going to be on the cross where the son is glorified. Hmm. I mean, that has to, like, we have to step back from that and say, what? How does that work? Because if we're making much of God, how is killing God making much of him? You see, but this is what he had set out from the foundation of the world, to, to walk this path, to, to, to bring us back in relationship with him through his death on the cross. And this is where the Father's going to be glorified. And as he's praying at the beginning here, the hours come, so it's time for him to die. He knows. The, the cross is imminent, right? In fact, we, we've, we've talked about this. We've been in this since August, right? And actually in January, we started uh, the, the last week of Jesus' life. Mm-hmm. The events that are taking place in John 17, um, we're just a few hours from John 13, where Jesus, like it was two months ago for us, right? Where Jesus... <laughs> washes the feet of the disciples. We're just hours from that event in John 17. And, and all of it has been moving toward his death on the cross where he's gonna die the death we should have died. And um, he says, glorify me so that I can glorify you since you have given him all authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, most of the time, if you ask people to define eternal life, they're gonna, they're gonna talk about it as a place, right? Like, what's eternal life? Well, it's, it's getting to live in heaven forever. Well, that's not how Jesus defines mm-hmm. eternal life. Eternal life is a person, mm-hmm. right? Look. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. 
Eternal life is a knowledge of God. It's not a place. It's knowing God. In fact, what Jesus is going to do on the cross is an undoing of the fall. Think about it. In, in Genesis, we know this, that we, Adam and Eve knew God. All right? In fact, it says they heard God walking in the garden. Like they had this intimate relationship with God. And when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they unraveled everything. We were plunged into sin and death and the relationship was broken. And since that time, all of humanity has been desperately trying to be known, right? And to know God. And what Jesus is saying, this is eternal life, that they know you. And Jesus is about to go to the cross and begin to undo the fall, right? And at his resurrection, uh, you're going to get a picture of this is what the future is going to hold for us, knowing God for eternity. In fact, he prays it in this prayer that they can be with me where I am. Yeah, I think it's, that's the key word is knowing. It, it signifies a relationship. It was Augustine who said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. It's that kind of relationship where we're, we become a friend of God and we, where we become you know, actually indwelt by God yeah. is what he's shown us in the last few chapters by his Holy Spirit. And he says in verse four, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And he's speaking of what he's about to do. He already knows it's accomplished. But he's saying that this is, this is the glory of the Father, that I'm going to the cross, that, I, that I'm giving eternal life through this act. That, that I am setting up a way for mankind to be back in relationship with God. I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So we see Jesus has set aside the rights of deity. That's what Philippians 2 tells us, that although he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. And if you follow that passage in Philippians 2, it ends at this really high note, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's the progression, that Jesus sets this aside to go to the cross. He sets aside the rights of deity. He becomes a servant. He humbles himself even to the point of death. And it's through that act, right, that now he will be exalted and he will once again have that glory that he had before the incarnation. And so the first five verses are Jesus praying for himself, right? The next section is Jesus praying for the disciples, the the apostles as we would know them, the 11 guys that are left, minus Judas, who's going away, and he prays some very specific things for them, and let's look at those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so one, one thing he prays for them is that they would, uh, he says, Father, uh, keep them in your name, um, that they may be one uh, while I was with them. I kept them, I have guarded them. So he's praying for their, 
for them to be guarded and protected. Don't think about this like uh, I, I'm praying for them to be safe. Mm-hmm. Right? What does that even mean? Yeah. yeah. yeah C.S. Lewis's great uh, work, The Chronicles of Narnia, where they see, uh, remember when Lucy sees Aslan for the first time? You remember this? This massive lion. And she sees him and she goes, oh, oh, is he safe? Remember the lion? Oh, oh no, child. He, he's not safe, but he is good. That's a great line. That's the description of Jesus, basically, right? Yeah. Jesus isn't praying that, that God would guard them, would keep them, would take them and put them on a little island somewhere, Christian island, where you're in this bubble and you never have to be around the world, right? Guard them and protect them from the evil one. What, what Jesus is praying for them is, Lord, keep them from being like Judas, That's the safety, that's the guarding, that's the protecting, that's the keeping. Because sometimes, if you're going to glorify the Father, you're going to, we just read it. They may cut your head off. They may crucify you, which is what's going to happen to Peter. And Jesus is praying, Father, keep him. Don't let him go down the path Judas went down. That's what, it, that's what Jesus is praying there. Keep them close to you. Let them know you, that yeah. relationship. Keep the relationship. Yeah. And to elaborate a little bit on that, he says, keep them in your name. Well, what does that mean to be kept in someone's name? Glad you asked. In the Old Testament, <laughs> in Genesis 22, God saves Abraham from having to sacrifice his son Isaac, and, and he prays to God and calls him Jehovah Jireh. So he calls out his name, you are the Lord who provides. In Exodus, uh, God is Yahweh Rapha, which is the God who heals. In Judges, Gideon calls him Jehovah Shalom, God of peace. So in his name are these characteristics of who he is. It reflects on who he is, right? So to be kept in his name is to be kept in his character for us to look like Jesus. Hmm. But it's not just character, it also has to do with power. In Psalm 54, 1, God, uh, the psalmist calls on God to save by his name. And you'll see that in other psalms. Save by your great name, O Lord. In Proverbs 18, 10, this is a very familiar passage. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. So it has to do with the character of God and it has to do with the power of God. So when Jesus is praying, keep them in your name, He's, I picture it like this, you know, if you're going on a mountain passage in a car, you'll see these guardrails up on the sides. And he's saying, as they encounter danger, don't let them fall out of your character. That's good. And, and don't let them miss out on the power in which I can give them through my Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean like many of the disciples experience. Yeah that as they're kept in his name, that they won't experience death. They won't experience persecution. He's already warned them that it's coming. It's coming. And and in fact, the guardrail illustration is great, right? Because guardrails, I've driven across Kansas. Anybody else? Anybody done that? There are no guardrails in Kansas. Do you know why? Corn. (laughs) Corn. It's so flat. 
the road. You can see for 50 miles, maybe further than that. You don't need guardrails there. You do need guardrails when you get into parts of Colorado and Wyoming, right? The guardrails are there because there's some danger. And that's, that's the, the Christian life is not Kansas. If you're from Kansas, I'm sorry. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's you're not just, in Kansas anymore. It's just an illustration, right? Yeah, you're not in Kansas anymore. But, but the guardrails, are there. keep them. Yeah. That, that's one of the prayers. Uh, the next prayer, Jesus prays that they may be one uh, in verse 11, right? In yeah. Right uh, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father, Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Think about that. Unity. That's what he's praying for, unity. And it's not this sentimental unity, right? Like, we're just, we're we're praying for unity. When I hear people say that, I, (laughs) Unity around what? Right? But like Jesus is saying, I want them to have unity like the Godhead has unity. Yeah, even as we even are as one. we are one, right? That's a, that's unity around a specific thing. And I think it's such a big prayer because I was telling Vic, I said, <laughs> you know, my best friend in the whole world is my wife Jennifer, and and we get along really great. But at the same time, <laughs> there are moments where we have a hard time getting on the same page, right? You know, some of those. Uh, like, you know, strong, uh, we, we spoke loudly towards each other. We weren't yelling. Um, <laughs> right? And, and so Jesus is praying that all of us in this room who sometimes have nothing in common except Christ are to be one. We have to be on the same pace even as he is one. And the only way that that's possible is like what Vic was saying is, is that it has to be centered on something that we can all hold on to, and that's Jesus Christ, that is, that he, he, he died and rose again. Yeah, it's unity in the gospel. Mm-hmm. So when people come to you and go, oh, let's just be unified, like, ask them this question, unified around what? Don't just go, oh yeah, let's hug, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> unity around what? Around the finished work of Jesus Christ who died as that's our right. substitute. That's what, let's, if you want to unify around that, let's go, right? But don't just give me this hippie flowered <laughs> unity, right? There is purpose, we, we need to be unified around the gospel, the way it is presented in God's word, right? Next prayer is in verse 13, and you can find the, his requests, he always starts them by saying that they, in verse 13, he says, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And what stood out to me as, as I thought about that prayer, he prays for his disciples, and it, it's preceded by, but I'm now coming to you, and these things I speak in the world. He, he, let me just start this way. If you think about your everyday life, most people in your life are constantly stealing joy, mm. right? Like, just at the moment you, you wanna say like, I just had the world's greatest hamburger. The person will, the next person, you know, that, that's around you, they'll say, you know, like, have you, but have you tried this place? It's much better. 
It's like, that's what happens in our life. That if, if, as soon as you get one word out of your mouth, I, I love this album, it's my favorite right now, your friend will say, you still listen to that. How is that possible? Uh, it, people are constantly trying to steal joy from us. And Jesus that's is constantly great. trying to give us joy. That's good. Right? And, and, and so as he's looking at the cross, he's praying for our joy. Isn't that amazing? Uh, next he prays in verse 15 Jesus prays that they be kept from the evil one 17 15 I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one yeah and he's then he says as you sent me I'm sending them into the world Mm -hmm. so those 11 guys Jesus is saying "I'm, I'm sending them into the world and we've been around these 11 guys for a while, right? And we're going, oh, man, you're about to leave the whole operation up to these cats? <laughs> but Jesus is praying that the mission will carry on and be accomplished through these 11 guys. And then the next verse, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, not just these 11, but for those who will believe in me through their word. In this moment, hours before he is going to die, Jesus, hear this, prays for you. You are on his mind. Mm -hmm. Look at it. If you believe in Jesus, if you belong to Jesus this morning, he is praying for you in that verse. All of a sudden, we're not outside the story anymore. We are in it. You you can say this. It's... This isn't outside of the bounds here to say, I'm not, I'm not just praying for Peter and James and John. I'm praying for Vic. Mm-hmm. I'm praying for Joel. You can put your name in there if you have said yes to Jesus. Think about that. As he's staring at the cross, he's praying for you. That's mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm praying for them that the same things he prays for yeah. the 11. He's prayed for you and me that we would be one, that we would be unified in, as he and the Father are unified and we're about to be sent. Here's why. Verse 23, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that... The world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you have loved me. it It is evangelistic in nature. He prays for us and for us to have unity and sends us so that the world can know what John says is the reason he wrote his book. I've written these things, John says, so that you may know Mm -hmm. Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in him, you would have eternal life. And Jesus is praying for us here in John 17 so that we would be unified around the gospel and live in such a unified way, such a sacrificial, loving way that the world would look at us and go, they've been with Jesus. I want whatever that is. And, and that's what this prayer should move us toward. You know, if this is the way Jesus prayed, it's probably the way we should pray as well. 
Yeah, if, as you think about where Jesus finds himself in that moment, again, staring at the cross, knowing it's right around the corner, here's what he's concerned about, right? Just go back to that prayer again. We can see, what is he concerned about? He's concerned about the glory of the Father and the mission of God. What should concern us as we pray? What will bring God glory in my life right now? And how does this affect the mission of God? If, take whatever it was you wrote down at the beginning. Like sometimes we, we, we'll look at those things and go, well, that's not very spiritual. Right? You may be praying for, I don't know what it is. But don't, don't just toss that aside and think I gotta get more sanctified yeah. prayer. Maybe that thing you wrote down yeah. needs to be reoriented right. in such a way that it brings glory to God and, well, and helps you fulfill the mission. Sorry. No, I was going to say that uh, just a quick book recommendation, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Uh, if, it helped me tremendously, but one of the principles he points out is, is that very thing is that often... Um, when we come to God, we, we want to be like, okay, we, we need to pray for all these other people to be like spiritual here. We don't need to like bring up like what's on our hearts. And no, no he says, no, no, not at all. That's, that's not how a relationship works. If prayer is a relationship, then think about what you would do with your best friend. You're going to speak what's on your heart, like deep down in your heart. And so when we come to God, uh, that's the whole point. It's what Jesus does here at the beginning of his prayer. He takes what's on his heart in that moment. He brings it to God the Father, and God the Father orients it in a way where his glory is, is the vehicle in which now we pray. Hmm. And now what's on our heart, we, like so, just quick example, right? When we're going through a hard time, someone's sick in our life, and we're praying for that person, it's, it's Lord, what will bring you glory in this? What accomplishes the mission of God in this? And that's, as hard as it may be, Jesus, that's what I want to submit to in this prayer. Yeah. Let's pray.